So, Adam, the CAF Africa Super League launched last week. It's going to officially start in August 2023. At this point, with the information that we have right now and the competition details that we've been given, what is your impression of the CAF Africa Super League? First and foremost, the first time I got to hear about the CAF Africa Super League and some of the rumors that were going around through the videos and the articles that I read, I wasn't really convinced or I wasn't as optimistic about it as people normally would and as even the announcers would because the first thing that was going through my mind is what happens to the CAF Champions League and the CAF Conference League, which are the two biggest football continental um, um, tournaments that we have. Then I asked myself again, how is the Africa Super League going to become a better version of these two competitions? Or if not necessarily being a better version, how is it going to complement to the growth of African football? Now, weeks later, to like mention the meeting in Tanzania where they gave out the details. I am still, to be very honest, not as optimistic as I continue to read around it and watch the videos around it. Because yes, the objectives, the goals are clear, but I believe that having objectives and having your executable actions is like having um, one plus one giving you two. So in order to get two, you need a first one, then your plus sign, and then another one. Now, if your goals, your objectives are clear and cut, but the actionable, executable actions, which come from the kind of research that you've done, would show that this idea is fully fit and fits very well for the African market, for the African football ecosystem. I personally believe that not enough research has gone into this and we need more time. I was having a conversation with you the other day and saying that I believe that there should have been more conversations on the Africa Super League beyond just conversations with the member associations, but with fans, with journalists, with people who are key stakeholders in African football. Before they roll it, before they roll it out, I think personally, August twenty twenty three is too soon. But you know, with all the feelings that I I am having, I hope that I'll be proved wrong. I really hope that I'll be proved wrong. Well, maybe this conversation will help to better understand um, the perspectives, and especially perspectives of people who don't see the vision at this moment in time or who still have those questions that need to be answered. Hopefully this podcast serves to, to give a greater understanding and a greater appreciation of actually what is the Africa Super League all about. But it might just help to just very quickly and briefly go through the competition details. So Africa Super League key facts, 24 clubs. So we'll have 24 clubs in the Africa Super League from three regions, North Africa, Central and West Africa, and Southern and East Africa, so all from those three regions, eight clubs per region, and maximum three clubs per country. This is over 16 different countries, representing approximately 1 billion people, and the tournament will run from August to May. 197 matches will be played, 
and the finalists will play a maximum of 21 matches. The key detail here is relegation and promotion playoffs will be happening and integrated into, co- into the competition. So just from hearing that, what are your impressions of these details of how the competition format is going to be? And what could be things that could be improved on maybe? If you're saying there's a, a prize pool of $100 million and you're only limiting it to 24 teams from 16 nations, what happens to the other 34? Or, yes, what happens to the other nations which yep. do not get the representation? Exactly. You know, that makes it very unfair, number one. Number two, how is this going to directly impact the already tough schedules? of teams that are not going to just participate in the African Super League, but in their their national leagues and in the CAF, Champions League and Conference League as well. So now two things come in mind directly. Where is the concern for fan engagement here? Because for these games to be successful, you need fans to go in there and watch these games at the stadium, not necessarily even on TV. Yes, you can watch on TV, but they need to watch in the stadium, number one. Sure. Number two, what's the incentive, the direct benefit for teams who have to participate in all of these competitions with regards to the scheduling, with regards to transportation? Because unlike Europe, where teams can have very good inter, inter-travel you know, routes, here it's very, very difficult. And our teams do not necessarily have so much money yeah. to be spending on, you know, um, transiting from you know maybe Ghana to Nigeria to go and play a game or from Ghana to South Africa or right. from Egypt to South Africa. No, do you understand what I'm saying? So yeah. yes, it's it's an interesting idea, but what are the logistics involved in it? And then and, and even one thing, 197 games. 197 uh, games. So that's yes, including you know, the group stage is apparently going to be a group stage, it's going to go into a knockout phase at some point. But all in all, 197 matches. Majority of of the games are going to be played where? Because not too long ago, I think FIFA ruled out that certain nations couldn't host certain international games because their stadia were not in the right state for games. So bringing all of these things, saying, you know, this as the details of the African Super League, I believe CAF should have come first with giving us a document or an overview of what the current situation is and how to mitigate them going forward before introducing the Super League. So that is my take on the competition details. I think just on that point, with the engagement in terms of, you know, speaking to stakeholders, you spoke about fans there. There's a lot of club directors who are very vocal about the Africa Super League. All this engagement is going to happen after the launch. So after the idea has already been presented. And that leads to asking, how much scope is there for possible adjustment? You know, ahead of the August 2023 kickoff, how much adjustment could this possibly be? Or is this going to be set in stone? You know, what is that engagement going to serve is is one of my questions. I know Barbara Gonzalez, who's the CEO of Simba Simba, um, Sports Club in Tanzania, uh, Jesse Kamdaung, the marketing director at Kaiser Chiefs, they were very... They, they were very vocal in saying the engagement is still going to happen. The engagement is going to begin now. Now, how far is this engagement going to go in affecting what actually happens mm. before the Africa Super League kicks off next mm. August? So that, that, that's my question, really. And that's what are your question. thoughts on that, really, in terms of the scope 
of change or adjustment that this is still going to go through or is this this definitely set in stone yeah so let's look at it from two sides the first side is now with, with what the reality is and then the second side will be what could have been done so with now i believe that there should be room for a change in the scope i believe that there's no need to rush and try and meet the 2023 deadline of 2023 august deadline no we we need to learn our lessons as a as, as a continent and how we've run certain events certain sports events and use those lessons learned to better it so i believe that there should be there should be room for a change in the scope and going forward more people now should be included within that change within that scope change so that is what the reality now is right the second part is what could have been done is that calf could have started with having conversations of this thing through fan-led forums right so we know of the fifa fan movement do we have something like a calf fan movement i'm not too sure i may not know but fifa could have said hey listen we're going to bring in an africa super league and we know that for the leagues to be successful, just like we have with the Champions League and the World Cup and the Euros, fans need to feel like I need to watch this game regardless of my condition. Do you understand? Right. So you bring in the fan forum, you bring in the journalists, you bring in the owners of the academy, you bring in the important stakeholders. Sure. Start to have those conversations and make them put make them make make them public. So when you start to get direct feedback from the people who are going to be either the benefactors or people who are not going to enjoy from it, it gives you a good understanding of the foundation to start from. So if I was Mosepe or if I was in position of the CAF executive committee, we'll start with the forum. Forum-led conversations all throughout all, 40, all, all 54 CAF member organizations. And we continue this forum for six months. So within six months, we bring in conversations, all of the questions that we may have as an organization and all the questions that they may have as fans and stakeholders. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, no, that iron, so that we iron them out. And then the lessons learned from that would eat into what way we can structure. Because it's one thing to say we want an African Super League, but we have to structure it at per Africa's um, you know, situation, because our situation is different from that in Europe, different from that in Asia, different from that in America. So we need to make something that will fit perfectly for us. And I believe that wasn't done. But if that was done, then they would probably realize that we even create a bigger room for scope changes for a long period of time before we eventually launch it. Do you understand? Because I, I followed some stats during the launch with some comments that were coming out from some stakeholders within, um, 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 you know, the African uh, football industry. Some people complaining yeah. about tough, you know, scheduling for their games. Some people also yeah. complaining about the, the trickling down of the funds that will yeah. come to the people who are supposed to benefit. Because one thing I saw was that the CAF would give member associations money for developmental purposes. But yeah. I can assure you, the current way that these member associations are being run, a lot of the people who are supposed to benefit from these funds will not benefit from these funds. I can assure you of that. That's my now, concern have, as well, Adam. That's my exactly. that's one of my biggest concerns as well. 
Exactly. So if they had a forum where all of these things were discussed and they found a way of hitting the nail on the head with, with regards to giving um, um, answers or solutions to the problems, we will then realize that when the launch comes in, at least 70, 65 to 75% of the people who are supposed to benefit from it will then be in charge of supporting it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right. No, I think you raised some really good points there and it just goes to show the different approaches that you know different sports governing bodies go go about when they're introducing new formats or new rules. I think some of the some of the lessons that were learned last year from how the in the Super League or the European Super League rather was introduced by those 12 owners of um they call them the dirty dozen, I think, and how they sent out a statement on their Twitter accounts and on all these social media accounts about joining this new league. You know, there's different ways to approach introducing new competitions. And now, especially in Africa, where this is absolutely unprecedented, this is going to be, this is absolutely groundbreaking. However, we look at it, you know, in terms of the money that's on the line, in terms of how the commercialization of African football can be accelerated by this, in terms of player development, in terms of the future of African football, and not only that, but the economic value that it gives not only to people within the game, but outside the game. Those are some important considerations, I think, and, you know, how it's introduced, how the engagement now is going to go about, how they're going to consult different stakeholders within the African sports business and globally as well, since, you know, FIFA is involved, is going to be very interesting to, to, to observe over the next few months. Now, let's go through a systematic breakdown of the Africa Super League from our perspectives by looking at five different factors that we believe are going to be important in how the success of this competition is going to be measured. First of all, and you mentioned it very well there about the trickle-down effects, and that goes down to grassroots. What does the Africa Super League mean? Or what implication does it have for grassroots? I'll just read a quick quick quote from the, stat, from the CAF statement about the Super League. The Africa Super League will support the growth of club football, the construction and maintenance of football infrastructure and facilities, as well as the training and the retention of football talent on the African continent. I think that last part there, the training and retention of football talent on the African continent is a very key role that I feel is going to be served by the Africa Super League, hopefully. But in your opinion and in your, in your expertise and experience, what would this mean for the grassroots, for African players who are six, seven years old right now, or even younger, you know, or those that are now only getting into their player development and all the ages, what does having a Super League mean for that level of the game? So uh, a six, seven-year-old may be thinking that, oh, maybe in 10 years' time, I may have the opportunity to be a part of this African Super League and probably, you know, make my name in the stage of African football. But grassroots football is now... You know, Infantino keeps saying that he wants to make football truly global. I know that uh, Asimbenga is, is, is part of the globalizing um, initiatives for football. Sure. In Africa, whether we like it or not, we've been behind for a very long time. Right. Now, if you're behind for a very long time and you want to catch up, you don't just jump over the gap that has been there and then try and match the current you know, standard that is being that that is that is being seen globally. 
you have to start putting in the foundations. I kid you not, in the next five years or in the first five years of this competition being run, it's the monies that are going to come through are going to focus on the first team. Because in the mind of every team, we want to make sure that we win that $11.5 million. Right. Regardless. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sure. And in five years, it would make a lot of sense that a team would want to invest so much into their first team in five years. In 10 years, that is going to continue. Now, with grassroots football, I really do not see it being a benefit to them because if you're going to tell me that you're only going to use um, initiatives for developing grassroots football through an African Super League, what it means is that you're trying to knock it in the minds of people that without an African Super League, grassroots football cannot get its recognition. Right. Do you understand? And for me, when I sit and I think about how grassroots can benefit from this, I got a very interesting idea which I shared with um, um, one of my interviewees on my dissertation. And I told her that, you know, with the prize money that has been given, if they say they really want to invest into grassroots football, they should start an initiative where they, I don't call it a challenge, but like a professionalization or certification where interested, motivated young people in Africa who would love to be a part of the management, the leadership, the coaching aspects of sports, right? Come into CAF or their member associations, get a certification, then get direct funding to go and launch or start up either an academy from, stra- from, from, from scratch or partner with an existing team and develop the academy. So the monies that come in from this competition is used to fuel the initial stages of these academies in addition to bringing in sponsors or, or, or partners for these individual ones. So if you pick, like, let's say even one person from each 54 member states, right? right? You're going to have 54 academies being sprouted up around Africa. That is huge for us. That is a lot because that 54 will mean that you're going to get, let's say, each um, 10, 10 students come, 10 um, 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 young boys and girls come through. That's 20 times 54. That's a huge number of young people who are going to get benefits. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. So we can tackle grassroots football without having to put it through the African Super League. When you put it through the African Super League, the kind of pressures that come up is that the grassroots would focus on the grassroots from these African Super League teams. Exactly. And, and a lot of the teams don't have investments into grassroots football. Exactly. That's just how it is. So you're saying one thing, but you're not doing another thing. So personally, it gives I'm 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 on a minus when it comes to the grassroots development. Right. What about you? Um, I'll tell you what, you 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 raise really good points, and I think that strategy that you just shared there is absolutely fantastic. But at the end of the day, what the the different member associations do with that one million dollars that they're going to be given from the Africa Super League is going to be up to them, right? So it's yeah. going to be up to them to use that money to invest into grassroots within their countries, right? I don't think it's the, it's the, um, you know, the main, the main purpose of the Super League 
is to prop up the grassroots. That's up to the member associations and CAF as a governance structure, right? But yeah. I think the money that is going to be received by different member associations from the Africa Super League, that money could now be used to, you know, perhaps enhance or improve on programs that they have um, for, 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 for the grassroots at the moment within their own country. Yeah. I don't think yeah. it'd be, it's the role of the Super League rather to be really directly the ones that are driving this, right? And I think CAF is already doing this, right? I think CAF is doing an absolutely amazing job on the schools program, right? And yeah. I sat in on a, on, on a webinar with uh, Namai Yvonne. Yeah, I was on it as well. Yeah, she's, she's, she's absolutely brilliant. And she, how she was basically explaining how they're going about this CAF schools program to integrate with the grassroots and ensure that the best talent is being harnessed here in Africa. So yeah. the money that's going to be used by these associations and the money received by clubs that play throughout these competitions is going to be up to them to use that money appropriately to yeah. invest in their academies, in their grassroots programs. Yeah. I think, I think moving forward, what the African Super League can say is that, you know, when the, the last time I, on, on the same program that we had, um, the leading charge of um, African football schools development. We also had uh, Meskerin, who was speaking about, you know, the role that this new licensing is bringing for women's football development and how teams are being told that you need to have a female team being developed. So the African Super League can say that, you know, for each of the teams participating who are going to be a part of the money that's coming through, you need to, A, develop an academy or grassroots football system which partners with your um your fa's um um you know african schools initiative sure. so that at the end of the day we can see it being replicated because you can't tell me you, you're, you're you're working with uh, retention of african talent when you don't even hammer it down. Because at the end of the day, a team may get price money from winning and decide that we just want to focus on the first team. Exactly. The FA may also get money and say, we just, we just want to focus on the first team. So at the end of the day, it makes redundant the African uh, you know, football schools initiative. But if CAF can say that this particular Super League is going to work so that all the teams participating within five or three, within three to five years, you're supposed to initiate your academy or your grassroots system, which is going to partner with that of your FA, right? And then the schools, African um, football schools initiative. That way, people like you and I, who are direct stakeholders, we can actually measure the change mm. or the mm. impact that is bringing through. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. I think that's some brilliant insight by you. Let's move on quickly to commercial, right? So what are the commercial implications of the Africa Super League. We know there's going to be $100 million up for grabs as prize money. We know that there's going to be $11.5 million for the winner, which is an over 300% increase on the previous prize money for the CAF Champions League, which sits at about $2.5 million. What does this mean for the commercialization of African football? And I think that's the biggest role and the biggest purpose of the Africa Super League from hearing the press conferences as it was launched by Mr. Infantino and Dr. Motepe, how many times it mentioned the word financial or mentioned mm. the word funding. I think those are one of the key roles or key areas that is going to help the Super League thrive. So commercially, what are the implications? What does the Africa 
Super League imply for the commercialization of African football? When you, when you think of commercial success within the world of sports and even within every other genre of life, the first thing that comes into your mind is partnerships. Right. Right? So you need the right kind of partnerships to make it successful for your commercial output to be the way you want to. So the reason why the Premier League is, is, is the biggest when it comes to commercial revenue is because they have very solid deals with some of these TV companies across the world. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? The reason why um, the La Liga is, is, is La Liga is because of the kind of deals it has around the world. We do not have an existing structure here that shows that our individual leagues, all the CAF Champions League, all the CAF Conference League, is so lucrative so that external people would want to come and partner. So all of these things are new. And you know, one thing about new initiatives is that because there's no lessons learned to use as a foundation, so many things or anything can go, right? Now, the truth of the matter is, and I know you and everybody would agree with me, African football is not as lucrative as compared to European football, right? right? I would sit down and watch all the games in the Premier League. I'll probably not even watch a single game in the Ghanaian Premier League or the Nigerian Premier League. Not because there are no good players in there, but the whole packaging. So your commercial success has to do with your packaging. Mm. Now, since CAF is going to be in charge of these commercializations, are there in, I asked myself this question, are the individual teams going to partner with these commercial bodies or CAF is going to partner with these commercial bodies on their behalf and then the monies come to them? Because if you say CAF is going to partner with these bodies and then the monies, then the revenue from it then comes to these teams, it is not a sustainable model. Because at the end of the day, if the government structure in CAF changes, the next government can say that we don't want to do this. But if comes if CAF comes in there, brings partners, multiple partners across the world to come and partner with these individual clubs for the clubs to create that sustainable partnership model right. would realize that in the long term, nobody will have to tell you and I to go and watch the African Super League. Yeah. Liverpool has one of the best partners in the world. Chelsea, one of the best partners. Real Madrid, you can, Man City, Arsenal. And it is their partners that make they are getting very beautiful because these partners bring unique packages to come and sell the Liverpool brand, the Liverpool story. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sure. But we don't have we don't have that here. Even though Al, Al, Al Ali and maybe Mamalodi Sanders are one of the biggest teams on the continent, we do not see them having that global or even that reach within the continent yeah. as compared to the kind of reach that Liverpool has in the European continent. Yeah. So I asked myself, the com- who is going to direct directly benefit from the commercial? Is it CAF or is these teams? If it's these teams, then yes, there's an opportunity to bring in these people, come and partner with them and then create a sustainable model. If it's CAF, I'm not really for it. And, you know, one thing about having just CAF doing it before the other ones, you know, maybe can't benefit from the revenue because there's a lot of room for corruption. When, exactly. when you talk about commercial, commercial goes hand in hand with corruption. Exactly. What kind of organizations are CAF or these teams going to partner with? Do you understand? Right. We, very recently, we, we, we saw a report coming from the UK where um, the Premier League, sorry, the Football Association told teams that 
they're being given, I think, a, is it a period of three years, within three years, to stop partnerships with betting companies. Yeah, yeah. I know Africa here, Betway is very big and, and other betting companies are also very big. Mm. So are we going to adopt these people and now bring them there? And when you're talking about betting companies then being part of your sponsorship, corruption is the conversation which comes to you at every single point in time. Yeah. So until there is a structured breakdown of how the commercial is going to be based on what has happened in the past, I feel like, yes, monies are going to come through, but it's not going to trickle down. And there's going to be a lot of cases for corruption coming through as a result of the commercial. Plus, winning 11.5 million out of a 100 million price money, it's really unfair. Personally, it's really unfair. Yeah, I'll be honest. I was pretty, I was pretty underwhelmed when I saw, um, you know, in, initially when I opened the page on my Google, I saw 100 million. I was like, oh, the, the winner of the competition is going to get 100 million. But when I was reading, it's actually 11.5, which is just about 10%. And that was pretty underwhelming, to be honest with you. So one thing that the CAF president, Motipe, really um, hammered in on in one of his first press conferences as the CAF president. And I have a quote here because I actually sat down and, and listened to the whole press conference and I have a page of notes here, right? One thing that he said is we hope we will bring back the sponsors to African football. And that is, it lies at the heart of commercialization. Because if you don't have companies and different brands internationally, but also continental that are involved and are helping in all different ways in terms of making the product as premium as possible. If you don't have that, then it's pretty hard to commercialize anything in terms of your league, your players, your clubs. So, in terms of the commercialization, it's going to be really important also, I think, to have very strict financial regulations, right? You speak a lot there in your, in your response about corruption, and that is a problem that has been endemic, not only in, um, in, 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 in club football competitions within domestic leagues, but also with national associations or member associations of CAF, right? So one thing I believe should be looked into as uh, the engagement process of the Africa Super League begins, is introducing some sort of financial fair play model that is going to help to firstly avoid all sorts of financial misconduct and um, anything that may be a, a, a deterrent to proper financial practices, but also a guideline or framework that is going to guide how you can use the money that you get from the competition. You mentioned quite a lot that the main primary goal of these teams is going to be how can we make our teams better? When we get money from going through the group stage or when we get money for winning the competition um, for one lucky team is how can we improve our first team? But if we can have some sort of financial regulations or a, a guideline really that directs you to use a certain percentage of your money on infrastructure, a certain percentage on a youth team, a certain percentage on your women's team as well, I believe that is a more, you know, that is a more suitable approach if we're going to make this a sustainable thing. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, Jabu, I clearly agree with you. One thing which has always been a concern for me and which will continue to be a concern for me is that there is no decentralized system for implementation. So most implementation periods or most implementation stages happen at the top where maybe the leader will make the decisions and then the officials within the below the leader would carry out that. But when it comes to the 
I won't, for lack of a better word, I'll, I'll use the word grassroots. When it comes to the day-to-day operations, the people who deal with the money, deal with the sponsorship, deal with the partners, deal with the procurement, those people have to be aligned. They have to be aligned with, you know, the decisions with, 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 with the policies. That is why CAF or... You know, yes, that's why CAF or FIFA can say, oh, we gave this amount of money to this organization for them to do this. But at the end of the day, you don't see what is being done and where it is being accounted for. Exactly. The people who do those monies do not align with the the so-called policies that the systems come to. So if there's a trickling down of initiators or enforcers let me use that word enforcers to say that per our strategy for um um um, period october to january right we are going to get x amount of boots x amount of balls x amount of this x amount of that and we're spending this amount of money on this thing that has to be spent on it and nothing else if we have those kind of people and those kind of systems actively within the clubs and the member organizations, you realize that transparency will be covered. Because when you're talking commercial, transparency is a really important conversation that comes out of it because transparency is embedded within corruption, if you understand. 100%. And jumping back now to partners and possible sponsors, don't you think CAF, right, and the Africa Super League is in good stead here, considering that a few months ago, six months ago at the IFCON, there were quite a lot of big name sponsors that were headline partners of the competition. So you had brands like TikTok, who had a sponsorship of, of, of IFCON. We had brands like Binance, the cryptocurrency exchange, who were also partners of the IFCON. So do you believe that IFCON can leverage those relationships, those existing relationships, in order to bring some money in for the Africa Super League? Well, the it can because the the Musepe was in charge of the Af- Af- Afcon. I mean, he is president, so he can leverage on that kind of partnership pool for the African Super League. Then again, I'm always saying it's one thing to have the biggest partners. It's another thing to have the partners who align with your values. Because, you know, every partner has what's his, I would say his, just because... Um, you know, I'm trying to use as a, as, as, as a placer here, but sure. every organization or every partner has his or her intentions. They have, they have their goals. They have their right. plans. They know what they want to achieve by coming to partner. So if these big organizations do not have the same values as you, but they have the funds, you, you're, you're then stuck in a conundrum because you'd ask yourself, do we go the ethical route and say no to these people regardless of the amount of money that's coming in? Or do we just close our minds and say that, hey, this is big money. We can find our way through it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So for right. me, do you need to prove that your partners align with your values? And it's not just about coming to say my partners align with my values. No, it has to be seen. It has to be tracked. In Africa, we have a problem with monitoring and control. If we need to be able to feel that the African Super League is indeed successful and is meeting its targets and its objectives, then we need to have strong monitoring and control systems in there. Yeah. Because definitely you and I would audit it 
we would give our reviews, we would give our feedback through both this podcast and conversations that we're going to have on it in weeks and months to come. Let's jump to the TV rights, the broadcasting, because at the end of the day, as much as we can have the product, you can have um, the best African players going around the pitch and kicking the ball. We need to see that on our TV streams or we need to stream that on our phones, on our laptops. So one of the key questions, and I think this this is one of the questions that have been elusive in terms of the content that I've been reading around the Super League is who is going to broadcast this, right? I'm absolutely sure that Super Sport and B in Sport are absolutely in the conversations already, considering that they are big players in the African media space. Um, Sky Sports, possibly. I mean, they bought the AFCON rights uh, six months ago to broadcast the AFCON in the UK. So who are going to be the players? Who are going to be the media companies that are going to broadcast this extremely new and unique competition? It's going to be one of the very key questions that we get. Because at the end of the day, we have to see it on our TVs. We have to see it on our screens. How can we get to that? And broadcasting over the past few decades has become the biggest revenue source for the football ecosystem, right? The sports ecosystem even. Not only clubs, not only federations, but for every single different stakeholder, the biggest revenue stream in the football ecosystem is TV rights. That's why you mentioned the Premier League. They have got the biggest TV rights in the world at different sports. The NFL, they've got some you know, crazy numbers when it comes to TV rights. So how do we get the Africa Super League to that level where we can demand those big numbers for the TV rights? Because at the end of the day, that is going to be the biggest revenue stream. I mean, first of all, the camera quality of games need to improve. Now, I watched some of the highlights of the uh, CAF Champions League and even the African um, um, Nations Cup that we had um, this year in Cameroon. Sure. And I wasn't impressed. When I compare that quality to what I watch with the Euros or the Champions League or the Premier League, the quality is a huge, you know, it's, 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 there's a huge gap. So that needs to be sorted out. So if the, um, if, if these TV right companies are going to come in here and bring in that top-notch equipment, fantastic. Another thing that we also need to consider is, is engagement. Now, the reason why Sky or being or super sports would want to at every season have the rights to show the Premier League is because when you watch a Premier League match, you don't see empty stadia. You see fans in there supporting their clubs, chanting, singing through. You see some form of engagement happening. The commentary is top-notch. So whoever is going to come in here and say that we were going to, you know, buy the TV rights to show the games. It's one thing for Sky. Think about this. It's one thing for Sky and Super Sports to go and get TV rights to show the African Super League. But it's another thing for me to sit down and tune into that channel and watch it. Exactly. So you don't want a situation where it becomes a white elephant. And I can assure you that in the first year of its running, the African Super League is going to be a white elephant because there's going to be so many lessons learned coming out from the mistakes and the good things that they'll do, right? So it will be in the best interest of CAF. I read today that uh, there was an, an, an organization that CAF um, created a, a partnership, a 10-year partnership, I think was worth, it's a million or a billion dollars. 
all these TV um, rights companies, and then they stopped it, I think, after four years into it. And they, I think they were seeing Kafas. Well, I'm not too sure I need to verify on that detail. But that is not good news for a company like CAF, which wants to bring in new big TV rights people to make the African Super League global, right? So we need to start putting measures in place so that these, because imagine CAF says that, okay, we'll buy the TV rights, I say CAF, Sky says that we'll buy the TV rights for the African Super League for its first year. And af after its first year, the viewership is very low. Not a lot of fans can go to stadiums, right? That means that they're able to jump out of this partnership after a year. But if CAF goes in and, and if Sky goes in and says that we're going to sign a five-year deal with the African Super League, Super Sports says we're going to find, sign a five-year deal with the, with the um, African Super League and show their games. And after the first year, the, 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 whatever they're getting from the games being shown is a huge reduction in whatever they expected. Yeah. These TV right companies are going to lose out. Yeah. So they need to innovate on the kind of strategies for TV rights since it's a new competition. So that at the end of the day, both parties don't lose out. That would be my advice to these um, TV rights companies. 100%. And I think it's also on, um, it's also CAF's prerogative to ensure that the value of those rights, even when they're introduced for the first cycle, are as high as possible because again that is the biggest revenue stream for some of the biggest competitions on the globe right and i believe yeah. at this moment CAF is in a very tricky position because at the moment they do not have a long-term tv rights company that they work with right there was a, a deal in 2019 yeah. with lagadier which is a media company yeah that's the one lagadier yeah. right you know it was it was it was scrapped in 2019 and ever since CAF has not really had a long-term TV partner. Mutepe in, in his first conference, in his first press conference rather, mentioned that broadcast revenue of over $200 million had been lost, right? Because CAF competitions were not on TV, right? And that is something that I think needs to be attended to immediately. But also another thing I believe that should be an area in which CAF you know, really do some extensive research. And I'm sure they do because there's some brilliant people that work there is how they bundle and package and position the rights again exactly. to ensure that people from different regions, people from, you know, all different uh, casual fans, you have casual fans, you have fans who are going to watch every single game. You've got fans that may only want to watch the highlights. How do you package and bundle the rights in a way to ensure that all those different fan groups and regions across the globe who are interested in African football yeah. are going to be able to, you know, get maximum value from the content that they give. So yeah. the bundling and the packaging of the rights, absolutely important. Yeah. I mean, Jabu, I, I, I cannot stress on how vital that is a point that you've raised. And, you know, looking at the, the African ecosystem, not a lot of people here necessarily watch TV, but a lot of people have handheld devices, right. whether it's their phones or their radio. Right. So maybe CAF can even innovate, right? Create that avenue for radio rights. So even if at the end of the day, a person doesn't go to a stadium or doesn't watch a TV to follow the game, they can follow from the radio because everybody would, 
everybody would hook him. Everybody would hook him to listen to a game, especially when the commentary is world class. Sure. Do you something? Like the way we have BBC giving us world class commentary or talk sports giving us world class commentary sure premier league games so at the end of the day like you said they need to innovate on the kind of bundle if for if for one reason you're not able to have a very good partnership concerning tv rights maybe they can find a very good partnership concerning radio rights do you understand 100 you're you're not necessarily losing everything you're still having people interacting with your content but this time it fits the african uh, market because you right. have to, you have to look at the african market it's, it's one thing to say 100 million dollars 11.5 million but we have to face the reality here on the continent there's so many things that are much more important than football so if football can find a way of intertwining with these things and making life easier then we'll be able to see that they are indeed thinking about their fans and this eats into our fan engagement Jabu, you know how um, I love FPO. You know, I know how much you also love FPO. Yeah. You know, we listen to um, the, the FPO podcast, podcast we listen to yeah. other podcasts in, in, in sports, yeah. watch highlights. We are constantly interacting and engaging with the content out there because the people pro- providing these content are making it very lucrative. Now, my question to you, Jabus, how is the, 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 the CAF African Super League? going to improve the already problematic state of fan engagement because when i was watching one of the videos on it it said that a lot of fans will find it hard to travel to watch their games especially if a team let's say a yimba fc is facing mamelodi sandals in south africa how can you how can you ensure that let's say ten thousand, for lack of um you know the details ten thousand yimba fans will travel to south africa just to watch that game as compared, to, I was having a discussion with my dad. He was telling me that in Europe, it's so easy for a person to leave the UK, go and watch a game in Belgium or watch a game in France or in Germany and come back because they have a lucrative um, system of transport which benefits. They have a very um, um, detailed transport system which cuts across nations, not even just within a nation. It cuts across nations. So have looking at you know, the lack of something like that here in Africa, how are they going to tackle fan engagement? And how, really and truly, how is the CAF Africa Super League going to make the already problematic fan engagement system here better, especially amongst millennial and Gen, um, and Gen Zs, as we see, who are starting to look at sports from a totally different point of view? I think the... The, the, the main questions that are popping up on my mind as you ask that question and how I'm interpreting it, um, at least a section of your question, is how are we going to convince African fans? How are we going to convince millennials, exactly. Z's, to not watch a Premier League game or not watch a Champions League game, but rather sit down and watch the African Super League? Obviously, um, they will you know, be able to watch all the different competitions that they'd want to. But how do we make the Africa Super League a preference for African fans? I think that is one of the questions Cap should be thinking about. And I'm sure a lot of thoughts has been going behind it. In terms of getting fans around the continent, because this is a pan-African competition, and how we engage supporters that are going to be there at those games to ensure that stadiums are, you know, have a decent turnout. 
right? That is supporting fan groups. You mentioned earlier on in the podcast about fan-led forums not being engaged in terms of the Africa Super League. Well, I think now is the perfect time for CAF to start those relationships with different fan groups across the, across the continent, with different fan forums that stand and speak for different fans of different clubs or different countries. How does CAF engage those, those, those sort of stakeholders to ensure that they know that they're going to be supported as much as possible to go yeah. around the continent? How do yeah. we, how does help, um, I mean, how does CAF help with uh, travel documents and visas? Because we know yeah. how difficult it can be to travel around the African continent. We know yeah. in, in, some, in some cases, you can't go straight directly to one country. You have yeah. to go to a certain European country, then get a connect yeah. back, back to the African continent. How yeah. can those sorts of logistics or those difficulties be eased wow. to ensure that fans are wow. able to travel? Because, you know, I want to go around the, the, the continent and be able to watch the CAF Africa Super League. But how does CAF ensure that those costs are subsidized, if not covered fully? Because we know the economic situation and the economic positions of the mm. people who are going to be coming in those stadiums in the first place, right? How do we enable them and put as less obstacles in the way for them to go on and support their teams, but also to do what I think was shown across the AFCON in, 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 in February, and that yeah. was shown again in the women's AFCON uh, about a month ago. How yeah. can we allow African fans to go into the stadiums and produce world-class atmospheres? Because I saw yeah. that in the women's football final when I watched the, the, the AFCON. I saw yeah. that in Cameroon when the AFCON was going on, that the vibe, I was listening to another, another podcast and they were, they were mentioning how they love how the African fans are singing, the vibe in the stadium, the euphoria, everyone is speaking to each other the yeah. painting that they have all the different yeah. um clothing that they have for their team the traditional colors and yeah. you know just that africanness if i can call it that way how can yeah. that be transmitted onto the pitch and you can yeah. only do that by having full stadiums and how do yeah. you help fans to get there and that yeah. is something i think cap should be focusing on to ensure i mean Jabu, you, engagement you, is there you you've raised very solid points i mean i didn't even think about it from this point of view. So for you to even bring this up, this goes back to my point that said that CAF should have had fund-led forums to discuss these things before finally coming to say, we are confident that having such a tournament will fit in for these categories of people. Because at the end of the day, it will have the blessing of more people than as it is right now. Right now, the truth of the matter is that whether or not you and I as fans give it blessings, it's going to happen. Genesis, because it has been launched and monies are involved. So it's going to happen regardless. Yeah. And when organizations run like that, they can easily hit a stamping block, which will make things worse than they were before they were executed. Imagine fans say, you know what? African Super League, uh, already the teams are, that are going to play in this African Super League are already either playing the nation's or, or playing in the CAF Champions League in the Conference League, and I already don't watch it, so I'm not going to watch it. And it's, that's very, that's very, very likely. That is very, very likely. Right. And you can't, and you can't take that away from a fan, because at the end of the day, I decide what I want to watch. Do you understand? What I'm saying so. Discussing such logistics, maybe having a CAF fan, you know, passport or something, which would be so innovative 
and enable people to feel easier. Maybe if with my CAF passport, I don't know, I can easily go to Nigeria with having my CAF passport with a subsidized ticket price and maybe a dedicated airline for, you know, fans. I don't know. Some of these innovations yeah, can come brilliant. through. Yeah. You understand? And yeah. so you would tackle different segments. Maybe, for example, picking up from the FPL format, right. if the Africa Super League has some form of fantasy format, younger people who may not necessarily support these teams right may want to may want to interact because it's fantasy you're going to get points you're going to win prizes right do you understand so it's one thing to just focus on the conventional way of things are being done and it's another thing to focus on the contemporary way which now inculcates the opinions the concerns the suggestions of the people who are going to be your main audience. I read an article on um, Barca's website some months ago right? where it was focusing on how to tackle the concerns of the Generation Z when it comes to football engagement. Do you understand? So if teams like Barca are focusing on this and Barca already has a huge following across the world, how much more a league that nobody has ever watched before, nobody knows about, nobody understands its logistics, and it's going to be even lesser teams. So imagine if it's, you're saying 16 countries, right? If my country is not represented in there, I'm not going to watch. Exactly. It's that's, that's, that. that's the you know, default attitude that you'd expect. Exactly. So have they have they thought about this? Have they thought about mitigating this as well? Yeah. Do you understand? And to say that, for CAF to say that we're going to give a million to each member state. So if you give me a million, I do improvement, but I don't get to play in there. How come the people in my country then track the improvements that I've done? Right. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right. So like I said early on, your objectives can be very nice, very beautiful to hear. But if your execution isn't as detailed and fits in with your goals, you're shooting yourself in the foot. We speak quite a lot, and this is something across the sports industry that has become such an important topic due to the power and the size of this generation that's coming across, the Gen Zs. And we forget that Africa is the youngest continent and that we're going to have and will continuously have the youngest population, at least for the next few decades. So how we engage young people for the Africa Super League is going to be absolutely pivotal to the success of this competition. So the gamification, yeah. the gamification um, aspect in terms of having some sort of fantasy in, in, in involved or integrated into the Africa Super League, how we can have content that is attractive and that will ensure that fans of different ages, but especially young people, how can we engage them? How can we make the Africa Super League a preference over all the other continental leagues across the globe? That is going mm-hmm. to be an important thing that we you know, not only with the, not only with CAF, right? I think this is the responsibility of all different stakeholders in terms of how can we assist ourselves in ensuring that more people, more Africans, are watching the Africa Super League. You know, we 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 see around us how a lot of organizations are starting to inculcate. They are starting to inculcate um, content creators within their operations. So, yes. for the World Cup, we see artists who are drawing very beautiful things, right. making very beautiful music. Where is the room for content creators 
within the space of fan engagement because really and truly, it is your content creators who are some of the biggest influencers on the continent who can help drive the viewership, who can help drive the interaction with the audience. What space does, or is there any room for content creators to come and benefit from this? And if there isn't, what can CAF do to inculcate these people? Definitely. I think that not only will improve and enhance the value and the visibility of the product, but it'll also give employment to young people who are TikTok influencers, for example. And we know that TikTok is huge across Africa. So how can we leverage the user base there? And how can we leverage content creators to help give some more content around the Africa Super League, content that is going to attract audiences, not only in Africa, but across the globe. How can CAF possibly reach out to those content creators? Uh, maybe they have an in-house um, department of their own with content creators, but how can this be more inclusive and the content around the Africa Super League be representative of the entire continent? I think that's an important, that's an important uh, area that is going to be pivotal again to the success of this competition because yeah. it's very much aligned to fan engagement and how you engage the fan is the absolute that's the absolute value of your entire proposition as a footballing competition so that's my opinion on, on that one this is definitely not going to be the last time we speak on the africa super league so yeah. we'll continue to have these conversations within the series but you could possibly have a series of the Africa Super League until launches. Exactly. Should we yeah. do that maybe? I, I, I believe we should because yeah. we, we would give listeners the opportunity to constantly interact with what we have to say because as um, direct stakeholders, what we, what we bring to the table is research. What we bring to the table is optimism. What we bring to the table too is, is, is an integrity with regards to information being provided and you need that kind of analysis given our background so i believe that we can have a series on this there you have it the first episode of the africa business of sport podcast ending off with the announcement that we will now run an africa super league series over the next year until the africa super league officially kicks off which is going to be an absolute historic moment for africa we'll end this podcast episode with one of the most key quotes that Dr. Patrice Motipe said, and I quote, this is one of the most exciting projects in the history of African football and will significantly contribute to the development and growth of the quality and competitiveness of football in Africa. Absolutely brilliant. And thank you to you from myself and Adam for listening to the first episode of the Africa Business of Sport podcast. Do not forget every single Wednesday, we will be here to be speaking about the latest developments, talking points, and topics of conversation within the Africa sports business. This is the Africa Business Sport Podcast with myself, Javon Twa, and Adam Spio. From us tonight, it's goodbye.